0: My name is Shai Eisenman and I'm the CEO and founder of Bubble Skincare. What I love about beauty is the emotional connection is how you can inspire and connect and emotionally connect to consumers.
1: From New York City, you are listening to Beauty is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry.
2: Welcome to Beauty is Your Business. I am your co-host, Jessica Quick, and today my co-host, Denise Dente, and I are buzzing about the myth of overnight success. Denise, we keep chatting about this, but I'm so ready for this statement to die. It leaves such an unrealistic expectation, I feel like, in our clients, in those that are founding and starting in the beauty industry, and in fact, probably in any industry. But I know we've been chatting about this. This is, to me, such an example of setting this bar too high. And what I'm really excited to jump into today and have on our show is Shy from Bubble. And I think this is such a perfect example of a brand that, as we look from the outside in, could easily be denoted as, oh my goodness, they've had so much success in a short amount of time but the truth is there's so much behind the scenes that we don't get to see. And I'm excited to dive into that today with Shy and really understand all the ins and outs of what it's taken to get Bubble to where it is today, which is an extraordinary success, but it isn't overnight. Welcome, Shy. Hi, great to be here. I'm really excited to be speaking to you and being here. Thank you so much for joining us. And I definitely want to start this conversation with kicking off Even before Bubble, it's easy to look at it and say it's been around since 2020, and therefore, you know, in a few short years, look what it's accomplished. But let's start with you, because actually, you've been around for quite a long time and really invested in this entrepreneurial journey. So do you mind walking us through really what it's taken to get you to where you ended up founding Bubble?
0: So I was born and raised in Israel and I started my BA actually at 15 and started working full time at the age of 16. And I worked in a completely different space. And then I started working performance marketing at the age of 19 and then had a crazy opportunity to essentially start running companies at the age of 21 because a really high prominent business person decided to place a bet on me, which was, I made every possible mistake in those four in those four and a half years of doing that, but ran a company of about a hundred people as a subsidiary of a public company and learned a ton in the process. And I was always really inspired and passionate about entrepreneurship, was really inspired about creating something that has a true purpose and has a true meaning and has true value. And it actually brings value to the world. So Kind of my dream was since the beginning of really creating something unique and something special and something that it could emotionally connect with consumers. So I started in the beginning, had a very rough kind of first startup experience, learned a ton in the process. I started my entrepreneurial journey about seven years ago after leaving kind of being, after not being anymore gun for hire. And I learned a ton and learned how much. You should not rely on your first instincts because a lot of times they're just gonna be wrong. And how you should actually really kind of listen to consumers and how you should not assume you know everything. And I started like really knowing nobody. Um, and I actually came to this country five years ago knowing nobody. So I had to LinkedIn my way through from one introduction to another. And probably had like 1% response rate over every hundred LinkedIn's that I sent. So it was LinkedIn messages. It was definitely a struggle. Like it, there was a lot of like, who are you and why are you emailing me?
1: <laughs> I want to come back to that. But before we we go there, I want to take a step back into Bubble and talk about the overnight success that Jessica was mentioning. Bubble seems to have appeared out of nowhere and getting a ton of press But can you talk to us about kind of the genesis of Bubble? Because you are what seems to be everywhere right now. Thank you so much for saying
0: that. So our goal is essentially to recreate what affordable and accessible skincare is. So when you look at older consumers, when you look at consumers that are looking to spend over $30 per product, they have so many options. Like There are 400 different brands, 400 different options for every skin type, for every skin concern, for everything they're looking for. But then when you look at younger consumers and when you're looking at consumers looking to spend lower than $20 on a product... They still have the same old school brands that I used when I was a teen, and that my mom used when she was a teen. Um, they still they're still using CeraVe, Neutrogena, Clean and Clear, Cetaphil, and all these brands. The first and foremost, they don't have an emotional connection to them, and second of all, a lot of them are just not really aligned with kind of formulation, stress standards that you really see in the industry today. Um, a lot of them are, you know, have been formulated many, many, many years ago, and a lot of them are just not great for your skin. So really, when you look at acne, and specifically the acne category, I remember myself as a teen thinking, it has to feel like I'm taking my skin off for it to work. And it has to like burn and be super makes my skin super red. And the truth is that no, like, you actually can use products that makes your skin clear, but is actually gentle and protects the skin barrier and makes your skin healthy and balanced. So we really wanted to create a brand that is changing that a brand that is first and foremost, is all about, really bringing the quality of prestige to the price point of mass, bringing the most updated standards of like formulation, really the best formulations out there, like from every possible perspective. I don't like to use the word clean, which we can touch about later because I feel like it's an overused word in this industry, but definitely as like zero controversial ingredients, but super efficacious ingredients and all about really creating healthy skincare routine so that will balance your skin and protect your skin barrier. And at the same time, make it very affordable and make it very accessible. So our average price point is around $15. And also in terms of point of sale, we're actually available in 9,000 doors in CVS, Walmart, and Ulta. And we launched a brand only two years ago on D2C. So it's definitely been a lot to scale from clicks to bricks in, in those two years, <laughs>
2: clicks to brooks. That's one of my favorite new sayings. I think it's such a important way of phrasing the D2C startups and then how they move into retail. So fun value. Thank you. When we look at Bubble, so you come into the world and say, look, there's this opportunity. I see this white space in the category of affordable Gen Z quality products at a range that they can afford. And then you obviously are not in that in that group so what did you do next what did you and all of the past experiences that you had what were the next steps that you did to figure out exactly what and how bubble was going to look like
0: so step one was as every other founder and entrepreneur is assuming i know everything and then <laughs> going out there and realizing okay maybe it's best that i'll actually test it with the consumer so we conducted focus groups so we started with focus groups with 200 consumers which was literally me sitting in rooms with eight consumers, bringing 50 different products from all the top stores and the top brands in skincare and just asking them questions and spending about three hours just trying to understand what do they like? Why do they like it? Which brands do they use? Why do you use them? And just really understanding their habits and their purchase behavior and like just what excites them about a brand. Then after that, after spending awfully a lot of time just trying to understand the qualitative perspective of it, of like what drives their their behavior essentially, conducted quantitative research to really back that with more significant data points. Um, So we conducted quantitative research with about eight hundred consumers, got this massive kind of questionnaire of like just really understanding percentages and numbers of like how many consumers are using old school products. How many consumers are actually shopping in certain ways? Where do they discover products? Who do they follow? So really understanding kind of a bit more of what drives their behavior and what are the exact kind of definite numbers of that. And then from that point on, we realized one very clear thing. One is we know nothing. Like we truly have no idea what we were talking about because all of our assumptions were completely wrong. And the second thing that we realized, it was 2019 and consumers were really passionate about helping their skin, but they didn't have any accessibility to information to really help them understand that. And information was just not accessible. They didn't have a way to like learn about it. And that despite of the fact that makeup was like a really, really big thing, they were all using just old school products that they're not excited about, that they're not emotionally connected to, that they didn't want to use, but that's what was available and accessible to them. So we felt like there's like this massive gap and like this entire industry is so focused on essentially such a certain part of the population is completely ignoring and not serving a big part of the population, which are still using the same things for the last 30 years.
1: We love the fact that you talk about gathering data first. That is always one of the best places to start is obviously having a kernel of a concept and idea, but then going out and validating it or not validating it in the case like you suggested. With the data that you collected, you obviously then went into your product development and those types of things. But I'm curious when we talk about distribution and you mentioned big retailers like Walmart, that's always a dream. Did you leverage that data to also go to them and say, this is the data that we used in order to build the product, and then this is the group of people that's shopping in your location, or they already know who's shopping at their location, and they came to you and said, you fill a need that we have. Can you shine any light on that for us? So it was our process to get into
0: retail was actually, I
1: think, very different than most
0: companies in the industry. So during this research, we realized that we have to get our consumers to be a part of our process. And we created a community of 4,600 consumers in an app that were essentially a part of every decision we made, from the packaging, the branding, the test of the formulation prior to launch, looking into every influencer we want to work with. Like literally, I have not made a single decision in our brand choices. Like that was all dictated by our community. And it was something that we were and are very proud of because... We feel like again, like we have this super strong community that is the heart of the brand and the soul of the brand, and they are they guide us through what should we do and how should we do it. But we, but that was before launch. Like we still have it until today. But we started building this community about nine months prior to launch, and then when we launched, I did not have any access to retailers. I did not know anyone in the industry. Like we had an amazing experts in, in the company that knew how to do supply chain and how to do product development and dermatologists and really create the best products out there. But we didn't have the access to like call the phone and call Walmart or, or anybody else for that matter. And we launched D2C only because that was what was available to us. And, you know, I'm also a performance marketeer originally. So it was like the clear kind of option. And we launched D2C only and it was crazy. Because on the first thing that happened is we realized none of our consumers want to shop for us online. <laughs> so we received essentially hundreds of customer support messages saying, when are you launching in store? My mom is not letting me purchase this online. We, like, we saw that the conversion rate was so much lower than other e-commerce websites that are targeting kind of more of an older demo. And we just heard constantly from consumer feedback that credit card is a big issue that they don't want to shop from a random website they've never seen before. And that just like, even though they're really interested in the brand, like DTC was just not the way, was the very much not the way. And then at the same time, we were approached by a lot of large retailers in the first two weeks, which is something that we never expected because we thought it's going to take us like two years to get to significant traction to actually get retailers to hear about us, but we found ourselves essentially being approached by a lot of the largest retailers in the world, kind of needing to find, okay, who's the right partner? Who do we want to start with? And conduct a lot of research of trying to understand, should we go prestige? Should we go more exclusive? Should we go more beauty focused? Should we go more mastied? Should we go mass, big box, drug? And it was a really crazy situation to be in because again, like we kind of went from being Nobody knew that we existed to kind of have amazing opportunities. But at the same time, like our website was not performing to the level that we hoped. And it was clear that there that our consumers don't want to shop for us online. So we then had to figure out, like, what's the right strategy and what's the right partnership? And we saw that 42 percent of Gen Zers actually go to Walmart three to four times a month. And we saw that we know that 90% of the U.S. population actually has a Walmart within 30 minutes from the home. And that 20% of the personal care purchases in the U.S. are actually in Walmart. So, and we spend time with the Walmart team and they're just incredible. And we felt like it's gonna be such a beautiful and incredible partnership. And we were just so excited about the fact that being so traumatized from how much consumers were not interested in shopping online, like we were really excited about the opportunity of making it truly accessible. And in a shelf that hasn't been reinvented in a very long time. So really kind of bringing something fresh and unique that was never done before on that shelf and being able to make it accessible to everyone. Because I think it's like, there's like the New York and LA accessible, which is great, but that's not where, you know, 99% of the country lives. So Walmart was for us, more than 160 million Americans go to Walmart every week. So for us, it was like, this is our way of making the brand truly accessible to everyone, which has been such a big part of everything we wanted to be and everything we want, we aspire to create.
2: So fascinating. I'd love to dive into the Walmart piece. So you look at them, it aligns with your data. You say, look, out of all of these pursuers, we've got one that stands out. So then what happens next? So you pick up the phone and say, yes, I think this is the right partnership. How long from that making the decision as a team of this is the right partnership to then actually getting on the shelf. How long did that take? And what did some of that conversation look like?
0: So we launched in November 19th, November 19th, 2020. We made the decision to go into Walmart in February and we had to ship end caps to all stores in June.
1: <laughs> I have to just gasp at that. Yeah inventory. I mean, all the logistics stuff keeps coming to mind. Like you must've just fell off your chair. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. just to, to remind you like 2021 February till June was like the worst time of supply chain in the industry. Like there was no worse time to, to essentially try to move inventory worldwide. Um, so we have our incredible, we have an incredible team with a combined beauty experience of over hundred years but we have a VP of supply chain who has been in the company since day one, who is absolutely incredible and brings more than 25 years of experience, who is essentially built a company to scale since day one. It's nothing that I would have ever been able to pull it off like without him. So he built a company for scale. He had a lot of kind of thinking around how do we ensure that we can really scale this properly. And that saved us. That truly, truly, truly saved us. And I would also say like Walmart has been like such an incredible partner because they were really there for us to work through like supply chain issues and things that we struggled with or raw materials. Like they were really, 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 they are an incredible partner and kind of thinking through, okay, if this is not going to be available in time, what do we do? If this is not going to be available, because like it's a line of seven different skews that each of them <laughs> is has its own kind of raw ingredients and has its own. And you know, my my family jokes that I it 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 almost looked for a little while like I'm just doing drug deals all day long because I called every raw ingredient manufacturer and I'm like, I need 200 kilo of that porcelain flour and I need it by this and this date. It is what it takes. Yeah, we joke as a team that it was like. Our VP of Supply Chain essentially constantly says, it's like, it was a really interesting experience. Don't ever put me through this
2: again. So now it's June and somehow because of your amazing team and the stars aligning and enough berating of people, you get on shelf into Walmart and then... How quickly or how soon did you start getting feedback back from either consumers or your partners at Walmart? How fast were you starting to see what the reactions were? And and then were there any pivots that you had to make? So we shipped
0: the end caps in June. We launched on the shelf as an end cap, not in the aisle in July. And then we launched on the shelf in early September. So we had kind of this like kind of essentially was a process of like starting with just being in an end cap, then moving to the aisle um, and we had like, again, like a really exciting launch strategy. Everybody talked about the brand and Walmart, because I think we also had like a beautiful partnership with some of the biggest Netflix stars at the time, which was really exciting. But again, like, I think it was just like this very crazy process of trying to figure out like, execution and trying to figure out like, how do we show up? Like, Online is very easy. D2C is very, it's easy is not the right way to put it, but like you can control everything online. You can control your website. You know, you can control your experience. You can control exactly the transition and the process. And suddenly to scale from being controlling everything in the way you come to life to be in a point that you're suddenly in 4,000 doors that you have no idea how you look like that even if you will try for your entire life to go to every store, you're probably not going to have the time to go to all of them. It's also a breathing environment, right? Like you need to change a code to change your website. But when it looks like to just take all your products from the shelf and just move them to the wrong location takes about a minute of like somebody in the store. And it was also, it was a really educating experience of like, okay, You need to understand that you can control everything now. Like this is also a part of the process. Like if we want to be accessible to the level this brand deserves to be, we can control how we come to life everywhere. And it was something that took us some time because in the beginning, every picture I received that didn't look exactly like we wanted broke my heart, but it was a process of like giving up that control and like figuring out that it's just not going to be exactly like, We want it to be everywhere.
1: No, I think that that's just the reality of it. And the good news is it's working. So now that you're on the shelf across all these 9,000 doors, how do you get that awareness? Now you've got product on the shelf. Now consumers have to come in and buy it off the shelf because until it's sold through, you really can't call it a success yet, right? It's that sell to versus sell through. So Talk to us a little bit about the process of getting that audience ready to go in and how you teed that up. How did you make people aware of Bubble? And then how did you get them to go in and act upon that? The world is changing so fast right now that it's the things that worked for us in
0: 2020 when we launched and end of 2020, which was only two years ago, are completely different from the things that we're putting our emphasis and focus now. And it was also different three months ago. And it was also different six months ago. Like it's just ever changing environment. And I think like we also have to admit the fact that it's like there are 500 new brands coming into the market every year. Like The market is becoming significantly more saturated as the barrier to enter is is just becoming lower. And the challenge that comes with that is that if in the past consumers needed to see you three to four times before they made a purchase decision, now like based on research that we've conducted, they need to see you like 10, nine to 12 times. And and it's a very holistic experience because I think in the past, it's like you had your path to purchase online and you had your per- path to purchase in store. Now consumers with their phones and they essentially this entire approach is just mixed and it's very holistic. So they would see you online and in an influencer, then they'll look at your website, then they'll see you again and read some reviews. Then they'll see a friend posting about it. Then they'll hear about it from a friend at school. And then they're going to go and see it in a store. And maybe in the third time they see it in a the store, they're like, oh, I actually need a new cleanser. Maybe I should give it a try. And when you think over the fact that the average consumer actually buys skincare three to four times a year, which in with rough math means that being two years old, that our most loyal first customer had seven to eight opportunities to buy the brand. (laughs) It's definitely something that we constantly think about and we constantly try to improve and we constantly try to, to get it out there. We constantly try to show up differently and we try to be very transparent in the way we talk about ourselves and like about what we do. And it's something that is just very important to us to just really be always honest with customers and with consumers and with our community So it's something that I think separates us in a pretty significant way because there's no fluff and there's no trying to fake it, but it's more like, yeah, sometimes if we're having issues, like these are the issues and this is what we're, this is why it happened and how we're solving it. And it's something that I think separates us in a a pretty significant way. We, you know, had a lot of like obviously different elements with influencers and with different, more traditional talent. And we we've tried like, and we we're doing like this paid ad strategy of like trying your sample set. But like the truth is that trying new skincare is really hard and our belief and what we strongly stand behind in the most deepest way possible is our product. We know that our product is the best and we know that our product transforms people's skin and like truly clears people's skin and changes their confidence levels, makes them feel good about themselves. So we're like huge believers of like, just give it a try. And it's an everything in our strategy. And it's something that is something that we're constantly trying to to put it out there. If it's in sampling, if it's in trial campaigns, if it's with our community and our brand ambassadors, like we really, really believe that the right skincare could really help you. And that we really want you to be able to give it a try. And it could potentially, especially in the very challenging age of when you're breaking out, it's, it could really be transformative to a lot of things.
2: I want to touch a little bit back on, I think you made a really pivotal statement about, you know, what it looks like three months right now, what it looked like three months ago and six months ago. So taking that thinking forward, what are some of the growth strategies for Bubble in the next, It've been three months. I mean, obviously, you continually have to pivot as the landscape pivots. So, what are some of the things that you're looking at from a growth strategy standpoint? So, I'm going to make a big
0: statement here because I am like a huge believer that the world has become so saturated that consumers are becoming allergic to ads, and especially Gen Z consumers are just very sick of ads. And they could see right through you. Like they could see influencers posting about you and know that it's an ad. They could see right through the celebrities that are trying to push products that they don't really use. And that makes the entire industry so, so much harder. We are huge believers for 2023 of really going back to the the basics of like grassroots marketing, truly getting consumers to talk about you on like one-on-one marketing activation and getting... As many consumers and trusted resources, including dermatologists, including estheticians, including friends, family, to be talking about the product, and we believe like this is this is the right way, and like brand ambassador programs and community, and that's the right way to kind of grow and to really make an impact in the next year. The market is becoming more challenging than ever, and I think everybody is experiencing it. And I I really think that consumers really just don't trust anything anymore. And the right way to kind of approach this is just to listen to the fact that they're not trusting anything anymore and try to really kind of make it much, much, much more kind of organic and embedded to their behavior and and just really kind of create an army. We have an an ambassador program of over 5,000 ambassadors, and it's something that we're really proud of and we're constantly trying to grow because we believe like this is the future.
1: I think that's a very refreshing statement and or prediction for the months and years to come. In saying that, with all the activity that has happened in the past several years with these influencers, a lot of investors are expecting and demand and want this fast growth, fast path, seeing your products being promoted by influencers. And it sounds like the path that you're taking is going to be a little bit different than that. And that may mean it's slower or it might mean it's faster. None of us know. But how do you feel about handling investors and talking with them about this strategy? I think what is really
0: special about our community and what's really special about kind of the way we've built the brand is the fact that we can really bring the reference point from our community constantly. And like the fact that Gen Zers are allergic now to ads is something that we we heard from them. Like, this is something we really, they just, their brains is programmed to just completely ignore that. I think the more data points you can give allows you to really kind of show that and understand that. And like, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a statement here that I think that a lot of people would agree with me. I don't know if a lot of people would make that statement in public, like, Contracting an influencer, a massive influencer to promote your brand is not necessarily going to be equals like big growth or growth at all. And, you know, it used to be the case years ago, but as the market became more and more saturated, consumers understood so much more of the fact that with FTC regulations and everything that a lot of these this content is being promoted because this influencers is paid. It's something that had a significant, significant influence over just consumers' perceptions and their response to that, they could see right through you. Like they see if it's not authentic, and they can see if they're getting paid. If they and their brains just knows how to filter through this, and I think that it's like a lot of companies and a lot of brands spend a lot of money on influencers that did not drive the right results, and that's why I am a huge believer that yes, you need to do it in a much bigger scale with when you talk about brand ambassador program, but like. What can be more trusting and like stronger than hearing one of your closest friends saying this product has transformed my skin completely or seeing that transition in total?
2: Shay, thank you so much. This has been such a refreshing discussion and we appreciate your viewpoint. Bubble obviously has just been, like Denise started saying, Everyone's talking about it. It seems to be everywhere. But what I really appreciate is that this has been a long journey, both for you personally and the brand. And you've just shined a light on a lot of different things that I believe we can take away as nuggets of information to continue a conversation. It's not an overnight success. It is a success. And with that means a lot of struggles and obstacles and hard work but also a lot of um, vision. And I appreciate, I think that was really an aha for me is the vision to see this differently, take on a large amount of brand ambassadors, Gen Z, I'm going to call them consultants and really look at this space in a new way. And I think that's what we're seeing here. So thank you for the time, the energy and the insight.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful you had me on your show. Thank you so much.
1: And I think now that you've reached out to people on LinkedIn, and as you started, said they never called back, or they never emailed back, or they were hard to connect with. It is funny that we're going to ask you, how can people reach out to you if they do want to connect?
0: (laughs) Definitely on LinkedIn. So definitely always available and and trying to be as responsive as possible on LinkedIn. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. And if you want to keep buzzing with us, head on over to buzzbeauty.com. This has been Beauty Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you
2: for listening.